There's a little resemblance. This is my father, John Yates, number two. And it is such a joy to return to my childhood and get to listen to dad preach this morning. I won't have to listen to my mother sitting next to me sing off key. Uh, nor, nor will I sit with my brother and fight throughout the whole service like I did as a kid. Uh, Dad was for more than 40 years pastor in Falls Church, Virginia, the Falls Church Anglican. He and mom have been married for 52 years, 21 grandkids. He comes with a lot of wisdom and experience. He is to me a mentor and a hero, as you can imagine. But the best thing about middle age for me has been that my dad has become my friend and most of all a brother in Christ. So let me pray for him as he preaches for us. Lord God, we thank you for your holy word. We pray that you would crack it open for us this morning, that you would speak through dad, that you would bless, encourage, and challenge us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, you can imagine uh, what uh, gift it is to me to be here with my son and his family and with all of you all. Thank you for letting me be here. For several years, I've been meeting regularly with the Romeo group, R-O-M-E-O, relatively old men encouraging others. All of us are in our 70s, except for a couple of youngsters who are in their 60s. And our chief age, our chief aim is encouraging one another and discerning how best to serve God in the, the final chapters of our life. It's very interesting that every one of us, from uh, the former ambassador to the FBI agent to the sobered-up addict, to the man who established a law practice in Moscow. Everyone in the group has a very strong desire to be closely connected with young men and women to encourage them and pass on to them lessons that we've learned in life about work and family and relationships and the Lord. We want to be encouraging and mentoring the young. And I say that because that's what happened to the preacher of Ecclesiastes. He was getting old. He wanted to share with his young friends what he had learned. He wanted them to know the truths about life. And so he sits them down and he tells them about his life. And it's some story. If you've read it, the book of Ecclesiastes, or if you've been here uh, listening to the recent sermons, you know that the preacher had searched to find purpose in life. He had considered or experimented with just about every idea or uh, pursuit possible. And so today we, we, we reach the end of Ecclesiastes. And in chapter 12, we, we read his final words. And then the postscript or the, the epilogue, which was perhaps written by an editor. Chapter 12, uh, verses 9 and 10 says this. Because the teacher was wise, he taught the people everything he knew. 
He collected proverbs. He classified them. Indeed, the teacher taught the plain truth in an interesting way. And that's for sure. He lays out his uh, lifetime search for meaning, and he tells all about it. He tells uh, about the people he's known, uh, conversations they've had, the awful predicaments and hardships that his friends have experienced, the trouble people bring on themselves, the pain the world throws on all of us, uh, our inability to control the future. He's philosophical about life's hardships and uncertainties. He's frustrated at how people made by God can mistreat and abuse one another, uh, how irresponsible and ungrateful people can be. But he doesn't try to excuse himself either, does he? Uh, because he too has been a taker. He too has been an abuser as well as a builder and a giver. And he's wrestled with God and he struggled because it's so hard to live with so much uncertainty in life when you believe that God sees and knows all and God could step in and rectify things. He could turn back that terrible Russian army, but, well, maybe he is. Maybe he is doing that right now. It isn't that the preacher has lost his faith. No, he held on to his trust in God and his belief in the Scriptures. But he takes pain to tell about all the exceptions, all the things that don't always seem to go the way the Psalms and the Proverbs say they will. Have you noticed that when people become old, they frequently become more straightforward about the hard and the bad things? They say things they wouldn't have said when they were younger. It's because time is fleeting, and there's little time to be carefully nuanced. And it's just better to get it out there. <laughs> Old age is a time of increasing loss. Time is just flying like smoke in the wind, and one looks back over the years thinking, I wish I knew how to make better sense of this or that, or I, I wish I had taken more time just to savor that precious moment. And so, just before he concludes, the preacher reflects on what it's like to grow old. I want you to listen to these verses 1 through 7 again, and this time slightly paraphrased in the New Living Translation, so you don't need to open your Bible. You can just listen to this. Uh, in fact, I, I suggest you just sort of shut your eyes and listen to this. It's slightly paraphrased to help us get the sense of all the series of metaphors that he uses. Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your Creator. Honor Him in your youth before you grow old and no longer enjoy living. It will be too late then to remember Him when the light of the sun and moon and stars is dim to your old eyes. And there's no silver lining left among the clouds. Your limbs will tremble with age, and your strong legs will grow weak. Your teeth will be too few to do their work, and you'll be blind too. And when your teeth are gone, keep your lips tightly closed when you eat. Even the chirping of birds will wake you up. But you yourself will be deaf and tuneless with a quavering voice. You'll be afraid of heights and of falling white-haired and withered, dragging along without any sexual desire. 
you'll be standing at death's door and if you near your everlasting home the mourners will walk along the streets yes remember your creator now while you are young before the silver cord of life snaps and the golden bowl is broken don't wait until the water jar is smashed at the spring and the pulley is broken at the well for then the dust will return to the earth and the spirit will return to God who gave it he's telling us that all these losses come as we get older and they are warnings that one day we will die like the, the precious golden lamp held aloft by a golden thread will one day come crashing down to the ground or the, the lovely pitcher that has held refreshing water for so many years uh, someday will lie shattered on the ground and the preacher is he's really looking us straight in the eye and he's asking us how between now and that day will we live will we live determined to live as fully as we can determined not to throw in the towel even though we're forced to slow down and how do we do that it, it is said that one day in his 80th year as he walked slowly along a street in downtown Boston, the former president, John Quincy Adams, was stopped by a friend who said, and how is John Quincy Adams today? And the old man stopped, and I suppose he uh, took stock of himself for a moment. And then the former president of the United States graciously said, thank you. John Quincy Adams is quite well, sir. I thank you. But this house he lives in at present is becoming dilapidated. <laughs> it is tottering on its foundations. Time and the seasons have nearly destroyed it. Its roof is pretty well worn out and its walls are shattered and it trembles with every wind the old tenement is becoming almost uninhabitable and I think that John Quincy Adams will have to move out of it soon <laughs> but he himself is quite well sir quite well and with that the venerable statesman leaning heavily on his cane continued his slow walk down the street How does one face the losses of old age with that sort of buoyancy and spirit? How can we maintain joy even when we know that we're about to return to the dust? And it's not just a question for the elderly. It, the preacher is particularly anxious that young people hear him too. The answer lies partly in these final wise words of the preacher in Ecclesiastes 11 and 12, but also partly in the words of Jesus. Let me explain. Three times here at the finish, the teacher says in one way or another, remember that you are created by God. And he repeats it. First John chapter 11, he says, young, young man, it's wonderful to be young. 
Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do. Take it all in. But remember that you must give an account to God for everything you do. He's saying, remember your creator. Chapter 12, verse 1. Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. Honor him in your youth. And then again in verse 6. Yes, remember your creator while you are young. Now, what's, what's that all about? Remember this one truth. You are not a random accident. God made you in spite of all of life's uncertainties that seem so meaningless. You were purposefully shaped in the womb by Almighty God. Yes, life here on earth is fleeting and confusing. But above all and beyond everything, remember this. You are unique and lovingly and purposely created, miraculously created by God. Learn this when you are young, and you will not waste this one precious life. Your maker has given it to you. The one true God who has made everything and knows his plans and purposes for all things. The judge who knows good from the bad, who promises to bring about justice for the forsaken and abused and punishment for the one who ignores him. He is your creator. He is real. He is with you. He knows every circumstance of your life. He watches everywhere. Everything, whether good or evil, in my life, the smallest, seemingly insignificant thing, the hidden thing, he is there with you in your youth. He is there with you. Don't squander your youth. He's there with you in your old age. Don't despair. He's even with you in your dying. This is our foundation, friends. Knowing this will keep us afloat whatever floods seem to be sweeping over us. I'm sure some of you have read John Bunyan's great book, Pilgrim's Progress. And he wrote about Christian, the beloved pilgrim. And Christian was despairing. He was falling beneath life's difficult waves, uh, nearly lost altogether. And then he was saved and rescued by the words of Hopeful, his dear friend. And this is what Bunyan writes, quote, Christian began to sink, and crying out to his good friend Hopeful, he said, I sink in deep waters. The billows go over my head. All the waves go over me. And then Hopeful called out to him, be of good cheer, my brother. I feel the bottom, and it is good. Here's the bottom. This is what is solid and true. The truth that you can always stand on. God made you. This is reality. You belong to God. And that makes up for everything. So in light of that truth, here are Ecclesiastes' final words. Now all has been heard here then is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commands. For this is the duty of all mankind. 
For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Let me read it one more time. Now all has been heard. Here then is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commands, for this is the duty of all. God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Fear God and keep his commands. Now one way to hear that is shrink back in terror because God is keeping a record of everything. That's one way to hear it. But another way to hear it is it means every step and moment live in complete reverence for Almighty God and know that he watches over our every step and wants to direct every one of them. This is what you were made for to walk in his presence and do as he says, knowing that nothing is insignificant, nothing is missed by him, nothing in our life is unseen or unassessed. So God, if God cares that much, however things might seem, it all matters and nothing in life is ever pointless no matter how meaningless or vain it may seem. And isn't that exactly what Jesus said too? That not even the smallest thing, not a cup of water, not an idle word, not even a bird falling from the sky, nothing, not even a simple word of apology fails to be seen and known by God. Because God, and here's the key, God isn't just your creator. He's also your father who watches over and misses nothing in the life of his child and whose understanding is always perfect. This is what Jesus taught us that Ecclesiastes couldn't, he couldn't know. That God, our master, is also our savior. That God, our judge, has taken our punishment for us in our place. The Apostle John wrote down these words about this truth. Just listen, just listen to them with wonder. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This command I have received from the Father Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. I'm going to the Father. The Father himself loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I came from my Father and entered the world. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Now I'm leaving and I'm going back to the Father. I'll come back to be to take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. And I've told you these things that in you, in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Christ goes further than Ecclesiastes when he tells us that our creator is also our father who loves us mightily and who knows the purposes for which we've been created. And he tells us that it is to abundant life 
that we are called, that trusting and obeying our Heavenly Father is the way, not just to find purpose, but to never-ending abundant life. And friends, if you can get that straight, especially when you are young, your life will be anything but vain and meaningless. It's so hard for us to believe that. Let me just close with a personal word. Long ago, I knew a young graduate student who was self-focused, self-righteous, hypocritical. He thought of himself as a strong Christian. But one day, because of some unusual circumstance, he came somehow into a moment of honesty, unusual honesty with himself. And he saw himself more clearly than he had before. His pride had been hurt by some silly thing, and he had been wrestling with some decisions and dreams about his future. But that day, he seemed to actually hear a quiet word from God just to him alone. And here is what the voice said. Son, you need to understand that I really can't do much with you. I can't use you. I can't make much of your life unless you learn to trust that what I want for you is the absolute best. But it requires of you trust that is willing to be obedient to me. If you will repent of being so focused on trying to work everything out the way you think is best, to satisfy your own ego and appetites and desires. If you'll learn to trust that I know what is best, even though it means I lead you to be a nobody in nowheresville, then I can use you, maybe not the way you've imagined, but in my way, which is much better. I'm actually your kind and loving Heavenly Father, and I know what is best for you. I really do know what's best. Well, the boy was shaken. He was shaken up somewhat about it, and he pondered what he had heard. For all the rest of Friday, through Saturday, through Sunday, Monday morning he woke up, was still pondering it, couldn't stop thinking about the Lord had said, could he really believe it? Could it really be true? Now, certainly he knew that God's uh, diagnosis about him was right on the mark, and he confessed willingly how self-focused he was. But could he really believe his creator was his loving father and that the father's way would really bring more fulfillment and joy? That was hard. Monday came, it was time to go to class again. But he had to come to a decision, and he did. And he called out to God in as much honesty as he knew how, and he said, with all my heart, I, I want to be your man. I don't want to pursue my petty little dreams. I want to follow Jesus as best and completely as I can. Even if it means just being a nobody somewhere, who no one will ever hear about. So I give myself to you. As best I possibly can, I'm going to trust you. 
I will obey you. You know best, I don't. And I will tell you that was a turning point. From then on, he clung to that commitment, although certainly he wasn't always able to live up to it, but that became his greatest desire. And you know what? He never regretted it. <laughs> because over the years, he learned just how true God's words had been. Those selfish, youthful ambitions, dreams, they didn't come true. Thank God. There was plenty of disappointment over the years, and things didn't often work out the way he hoped they would. But he would tell you it has been anything but meaningless or disappointing. It's been better. It's been so much better than he hoped it would be. You will never regret giving and entrusting your future, your dreams to the Lord. It will be much better than if you had your own puny little way in life. So much better. Now, I can speak accurately about that young man because it was I myself, but there are countless others who would tell you the same thing, and their experience has been the same. Augustine said it so powerfully, O Lord, Thou hast made us for Thyself. And our heart is restless. Our life is just a confusing vapor until we rest in Thee. So let's close with St. Paul's powerful answer to Ecclesiastes' cry of vanity. No, Paul says, life is not a meaningless vapor. It's not all in vain, no. And when the end comes, and now we pick up from 1 Corinthians 15, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death will be swallowed up with victory. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Oh God, help us to know and believe and trust this great promise that you are our Father and your way is best. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.